0: My name is Alan, if I haven't uh, met you yet, I am the uh, college pastor for Stepping Stone. Um, so we have Stepping Stone joining us with us today and I'll be giving the message for us today. Um, and yeah, we're just we want to get the. Here it is. okay. today we're going to talk about worship, um, encountering God in worship. Um, we've been in a sermon series um, where we've been kind of revisiting um, this sort of purpose statement and the mission statement of our church. Um, So we call it the GLC Purpose Statement Sermon Series. It's been the last six weeks. Today is the last day. And just as a rehash, in case some of you guys have forgotten what that purpose statement is, um, here is kind of this working purpose statement that we've been working on as our church about who we are, who we want to be. We're not fully exactly always this, but this is who we want to be. This is what we want to characterize our church, Grace Life Church. So this is our working statement. It's we live to encounter and respond to God In the everyday while inviting others on this journey we live to encounter and respond to god in the everyday while inviting others on this journey and we've been in a series of uh this is our last one uh, six sermons on just talking about various aspects of if you notice the common theme there being encountering and responding god encountering responding to god having this relational dynamic with god not just this static god is up there i believe him You know, but this relational dynamic of following him, of walking with him, of beholding him and seeing him and being changed by him, that's the heart of who we are as a church, what we want to be as a church. Um, Phil talked, I just want to quickly run through, just as even as a summary for many of us who, you know, just over these last six weeks of what we've been talking about, we've talked about, you know, how that's central to who we are, how we expect to see that in everyday life, how we're not just about Sundays. Um, encountering God and responding to God, and then the rest six days just doing whatever, you know. But we expect to encounter and respond to God in everyday life. We expect to encounter and respond to God, not individually, not just isolated, but as community. Um, And I talked about how community was like, in some ways, godly community is like a preview of heaven on earth. You know, a picture of what God is doing in his plan for redemption. Um, Just a preview, a very broken preview of what it can look like on earth. We talked about encountering and responding to God on mission, how the church is a missional church, is sent on mission. Um, we talked about encountering and responding to God in Scripture. That was Michael's message, um, uh, ye- not I was about to say yesterday, but last week. <laughs> and, you know, just talking about sort of how that Scripture is a major, um, is the major way in which we encounter and see God, um, where we behold and we come to know who he is. And lastly today, I'm going to talk about encountering and responding to God. In worship, um, and what does that mean, um, and why do we care about that? So today, I just want to two main sort of things we want to talk about: what is worship? Why do we do it? So a rehash for some of us about what worship is. You know, why do we why do we worship? What is it? Why do we do it? And and secondly, more specific to Grace Life Church, encountering and responding to God through musical worship. What does that look like in this church? Because um, churches do things differently, and that's okay. Um, but, but how do we you know, aim to do things, and what are our kind of values? So that's what we're talking about today. First, I want to give us a little bit of a... Yeah, just, just a, understanding, a bigger understanding of what worship is, and why does it matter. So, the original meaning of the word worship, you know, when you go back and you do your studies in Greek and Hebrew for the word worship, well, they don't use the word worship in the sense that we use the worship. Um, it's really this word for prostrating yourself, lying down, face down before somebody. So it's this very actionable, like concrete thing, um, not this abstract word, worship today, um, that a lot of times people see it as, this prostrating yourself, lying face down in this, I don't know if you've ever done that before somebody, in a, in a posture of utter reverence and submission. Um, and this is not just pertaining to God this is what they would do to all kinds of kings, um, to idols, um, oftentimes for the wrong reasons, uh, for the wrong motivations but you know that was their idea that was the word of, of worship. But Christian worship is a little different. Um, for the ancient near Middle Eastern culture, a lot of times for them worship what this prostrating themselves um, was this way of saying, I'm nothing compared to you. I give my everything complete submission. But it wasn't necessarily out of love. A of times it was out of fear, out of retribution. Um, and it was kind of in this sort of way of acknowledging superiority in a not so good way. Superiority as in, like, I am like going to be your you know, slave. I'm going to just serve you with everything, and you have complete rights over my life and everything. Um, so there's there's some similarities when we come to the idea of worshiping God, but obviously there are some major differences um, between that ancient Near Middle Eastern culture of prostrating worship and um, what God desires from us of worship. And so the way I would describe, I think, what God describes for us for worship is that it begins with inward delight. Um, it's not primarily just about outward actions, um, doing the right things, um, saying the right things, singing the right things, but it primarily comes from inward delight. Um, John Piper, who has been a very influential person in my life um, when I first came to Christ, um, I love what he says about worship. That's one of my favorite topics when he talks about worship. And he just defined it as true worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. True worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. For the ancient Near Eastern culture, they didn't value or treasure their king or, or the idol. They just did it so that they can manipulate and control that so they can get what they wanted. But for the Christian, this posture of complete submission comes out of valuing and treasuring. It comes out of this place of saying, you are worthy of it, um, you deserve it, and I love you. And because of who you are, I desire to submit myself in this kind of way. I put a picture of a canyon up there <laughs> because I think um, you know when we, when we encounter things in nature there is a almost natural process this completely natural instinctive process of inward delight of worship in some ways not that kind of worship but of, of this kind of delights. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this is the Grand Canyon if you've ever gone on a beautiful nature hike you know and when you behold something that is just so amazing that is so incredible um, your your heart just delights in it, and it overflows into joy, and that's kind of the picture that I think uh, Piper wants to bring up. And I think that you know, I, I think that that's kind of what worship really is supposed to be. In Psalm sixty three two to four, <clears throat> um, there's this kind of picture. I love again. David is a great person for understanding the heart of worship. In um, verses two to four, he says, "So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary." beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So if you look at the progression of what's happening in this passage, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. I've seen you first. I've had encounter with you. He's talking about the tabernacle here, because the temple wasn't built yet. I'm beholding your power and glory. The the incense of the temple, the, the cloud that is over it, you know, the glory of God in it, you know, the, the imagery of the temple, all of that helps me to behold your invisible power and your glory. So I'm seeing that, I'm being amazed by that. I'm wondering at that. And that drives me to this conclusion that your steadfast love is better than life. Your steadfast love is better than life. even better than my own life is your love, O oh God. Therefore, my lips will praise you. Therefore, it's, you know, it overflows into spontaneity. I will bless you as long as I live. I will react, I will respond with this joy, with this worship. True worship begins with inward delight, um, but it results in outward sacrifice. It flows outward. Um, A very common definition given for worship is in Romans 12, um, where it says, I appeal to you, therefore, this is Paul speaking, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he's just straight up defining worship for us here. You know, what is the outward sense of what worship is? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's this whole, you know, holistic picture. It's not just praise, it's not just what you do on Sundays, you know, what we think of as worship, but present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Going back to the ancient Near Middle East, so their idea of worship not only would be to prostrate themselves before some kind of superior being, a king or an idol or something, but they would bring a sacrifice, right? And there was this understanding of I would bring a gift, a tribute, some kind of thing that expresses, like that proves, you know, that my lying on my face isn't just theoretical, you know, isn't just this, you know, thing I'm doing, but that I really do, you know, have allegiance to you and I really do love you and all that. And so there would be, you know, in the ancient east so there would be sacrifices given, you know, um, big sacrifices given to, to express this kind of thing. Um, Now, Paul, when it comes around in the New Testament, he's like, well, you know, no longer we're in that kind of system where we're sacrificing these things, but what is your sacrifice when you come to worship? Well, it's you. It's your body. You're a living sacrifice. Now, Paul's not saying, you know, human sacrifice, do something crazy to yourself, but he's saying all of you is what God wants. Not just what you bring, not just externally what you do, all of you, Um, all of your life, all of your obedience, all of your service, everything you possibly could have to offer, that is what is brought to God in worship. Um, Very all-encompassing idea of submitting yourself, way more than just lying, you know, with your face in front of, face down in front of somebody. So if I were to kind of summarize, you know, what is worship, you know, as Because as I've been studying it and thinking about it, I would kind of define it this way. Worship is the inward amazement, wonder, and delight of God. Much like when we see something majestic in nature, just wonder, expressed through praise, service, obedience, the complete giving over of our lives. That is the extent of what worship is. And I want to talk a little bit about how central that is to everything that we do, even all the things that we just previously talked about—discipleship, community, and mission— how worship is very central to all these things. It's critical for these things to function properly. Worship is critical for individual discipleship. Michael's talked about how discipleship is not a program of the church, but the program of the church. It's what we're doing all the time. It's just by default. That's, that's what the church should be doing, and discipleship is not, you know, he just defined it as, um, I might botch it, but he defined it as intentionally just trying to follow Jesus, trying to become more like Jesus, intentionally living out what Jesus was like. That's discipleship. Well, we also talked about, Michael also talked about last sermon, how about reading the Bible is also not just about the purpose of moralism, but just doing the right kind of things. <clears throat> he said that we're not just trying to be the better people for the sake of being better people, but, but really in scripture, we're trying to encounter God. We're trying to know who Jesus is. Well, worship, therefore, I think, is at the center of that individual discipleship. Worship is what keeps it from becoming moralism. You know, it's easy, you go to a lot of places, it, it can, it's easy to talk to a lot of people and think, becoming more like Jesus, that's all Christians do, that's great, that's awesome, but it becomes moralistic. It becomes about, well, Jesus was like this, so i gotta be like this jesus is like that well i gotta be like that and without worship there's no power there's no motivation I mean, i don't know if you guys have tried to be like jesus without being amazed at jesus it doesn't really work <laughs> you're like I-, I know i should do this but to be honest i'm not that enamored with it right you don't find yourself lasting long in trying to love your neighbor as yourself when you aren't amazed at who god is in, that, in his love and the way that he loves his neighbor um, as his self. And so, worship is critical for individual discipleship, right? In some ways, you can describe discipleship, even just the following Jesus, as our outward worship, as our outward results of inward delight in God. Worship is critical for godly community. I know if you guys heard of the phrase before that, you know, how do you get 100 pianos in tune with each other? Um, well, the way you tune them is you don't tune them to each other. Because if you tune them to each other, you tune one to another, but then this one's off, and then you've got to now change these two or change that one, and then, you know, it, it doesn't work. The way you tune 100 pianos is you tune them all to one tuning fork. And if they're all in tune with that tuning fork, they're all in tune with each other. And that's the same way. I think a lot of times, you know, even in the sermon I gave about pursuing godly community, without the central idea of worship, it's pointless. It's just a bunch of great ideas. It's just, hey, this is the culture that we should have. Hey, this is what we should be. But if we aim at those kinds of things, we're not aiming at God. We're not aiming. It's not coming out of this worship of God. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Um, We're going to find ourselves in disarray, in jealousy, in disputes, in problems that fill a lot of churches um, simply because we're aiming at the wrong thing. We're aiming at unity when we should be aiming at worshiping God, at being amazed at God. I guarantee you, if everybody in our church was amazed at God, if everyone in our church was just mind-blown about who God was, we'd be we'd be in sync with each other. You know, we wouldn't have to... It would flow naturally out of that. Worship is critical for godly community. And finally, worship is critical for the church's mission. John Piper, once again, he famously said, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists where worship does not. In other words, what is mission? Mission is pointing, to, uh, pointing other people. Hey, look. Look at the beauty and wonder of God. Look at what I just saw. This is amazing. Let me show you as well. It's pointing other people to the beauty and amazement of God. It's like you know, going outside and seeing a wonderful sunset and then dragging your friend who's on the phone, hey, stop looking at your phone. Look at this amazing thing. Come and enjoy it with me. Well, you can't exactly do that if you're not enjoying it. You know, if what you're dragging people out to see is just a bunch of trash cans or something, you know? Like, you can't can't point other people to the beauty and wonder of God if it's not beautiful to you. It's not wonderful to you, right? Mission will just be just some... Thing that we have to do that Christians are supposed to do instead of what it ought to be, something that flows out of our worship. And so I think we see that everything about what a church does comes out of beholding and experiencing, being amazed at God and responding with, God, I want to give you everything, my life, all of this, It flows, all the things of church that we've talked about flow out of that. So now I want to talk a little bit about encountering and sparring to God and worship specifically for us at Grace Life. Um, and this is more of a specific kind of message. This, is, you know, this has been more of a topical kind of message. This is not the first part I wanted to talk more about what worship is, but this part I want to talk more about kind of what Grace Life as a church, how we kind of as leadership and you know, over the years, sort of what are our values in worship. And I want to make it clear that Just because these are our values doesn't mean they're necessarily the right values. Like, there are many churches that do worship in all kinds of different ways. We even met one church one time in Columbia, uh, I think it was like Columbus, Ohio, it's called Xenos, that they intentionally don't do any musical worship. Um, And there's a reason for that, it's not because they hate music, Um, but because for them, they wanted to invite non-Christians to their service, and they found that that was something that people were weirded out by, and so for the sake of that, they're like, in our kind of big services, we're not going to do that. Uh, I don't know about that decision. I can't judge the merits of that, you know, but again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to make it sound like just, because you know, there are many different churches and do all kinds of, have all kinds of different perspectives towards musical worship. And I want to share about what our heart is, I think, at GLC, if, if I'm able to do so as a, someone who's been there for a while and has led worship too as well. So what is our value for worship? why do we care about worship so much why do we i don't know if you guys have been with us long enough really like doing long sessions of worship and you know, i don't know if you've ever been like what is that about like why why are these people like all about like you know getting in a room together and like spending hours like worshiping we like what if you're musical worship like what is that all about um and no it's not because we're just a bunch of closet musicians and we're like man you <laughs> really like music and just want to spend as much time doing music as possible and no it's not because we just have some outdated sense of like tradition that like okay we got it we you know what do you do in church you got to sing well we better sing so okay let's sing you know i don't think that's our perspective at doing it at all if that's the case i'd rather just not do it at all what is our heart for musical worship specifically um well i want to talk about this Uh, i think we believe that musical worship is a place to encounter god we talked about purpose we talked about how we expect to encounter and respond to god well musical worship is actually something we believe creates a space um, to encounter god and specifically i want to talk about these aspects of encountering god uh, musical worship creating a space for us to seek after god's presence and musical worship creating a place for us to wait and even this phrase of lingering in the presence of god lingering in god's presence Going back to the psalm that we looked at that was talking about beholding the glory and power of God. In this psalm it says oh god it actually doesn't start that way, right? It actually doesn't start with saying god you're awesome i'm going to praise you. The setting of the psalm actually shows that he's not in that place actually. When you talk about beholding god and god your steadfast love is better than life i'm going to praise you but if you read the beginning you realize he's not in that place currently. <laughs> he used to be in that place. He knows what it's like to be in that place and he wants to be in that place again but he's not currently in that place that's why he says oh god you are my god earnestly i seek you my soul thirsts for you my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water earnestly i seek you and you can read all over the psalms especially with david there is this sense of seeking of earnestly being like god i want more of you. I think people have pointed out how this is something that in some ways has seemed to have been lost in, in modern American Christianity or churches today, this burning desire, this dissatisfaction with merely having some kind of distance acquaintance with God. Every Christian goes to a period of time where they don't feel God, um, but there is this kind of sense in Scripture that you see of godly Christians being, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with my heart being cold towards you, O oh Lord, because you deserve more, and I know what you deserve. And I'm going to seek you until I burn for you. I'm going to seek you until my heart, my emotions even, are restored towards you. And so I think that's what a lot of our musical worship is about creating space so that we can, as a church, seek God together. Um, it's about, you know, creating a space where we can focus on Him. Um, life is very busy if you, in, in a modern American culture, and, and we want to create a space where we can just slow down. Because seeking God is just focusing on Him. It's just intentionally taking the time and the energy to meditate on Him, on His words, on what He has said. And that's what we believe we do in musical worship. We create that space, create that time. We give lyrics even to help stimulate our thinking you know, our worship leaders are very intentional, like Alice is very intentional about how she chooses her songs, and it's not just random, you know, she prays through it. I know this because she's told me this, you know, she prays through it and she really asks God, that, you know, what, what are the things our church needs to hear and to be encouraged by? What are truths that we need to see today for ourselves? So we believe in that, we believe in seeking God. Uh, There's this video that I always just show people whenever I teach on prayer, and this is all a video on this guy named Paul Washer. Um, It's called The Prayer Closet, if you want to see this on YouTube. I I, I contemplated showing it, but I think it's a little too much. It was a little too long, so I can send you guys a link if you guys want. But it's just his testimony of how hard he sought God. And this is something I go back to again and again, I'm just like, wow. Like, that encourages me, that motivates me, that also challenges me. He talks about how he was not at a place where he was like, Yeah, I'm trying to go and share the gospel to him trying to preach but you know there's no power I don't feel like I know God you know I, I talk to these older people they seem like they know God they know what he's like you know they would talk about God's presence coming down he's like okay you know I want I want that you know I want to be there and so he goes into his prayer closet and he just prays right he's like I'm gonna pray I'm gonna pray until I find you I'm gonna pray until I know you right and so he does that, and he falls asleep, so he starts bringing an alarm clock in. He's just, day after day, after hour, he's like, I'm going to find you, God. You said if you seek me, you know, you will find me, and so I'm going to do this. He does that day after day, month after month. I mean, you got to admire this guy's pers- perseverance, you know. He's just, nope, it's not going to, like, I'm not finding you yet. And he talks about, he's from Texas, actually, so he, he, he talks about kind of, you know, just this time where he just, went on a retreat or personal retreat on for himself and he was like yeah he was just throwing rocks at the sky and saying god i need to know you like i i can't live without you i can't live without this sense and one day he does say yeah god you know in his prayer time he meets god and and yeah it is an experience right it is a powerful experience where you know with his testimony he's like yeah i was transformed by that like that changed who i am Um, and that changed how i see the presence of christ i can show the video to you guys later um, but it's something that it just encourages me about wow like do i want god that badly and do i want to know him in his power um, that much another concept that i think we talk about is this idea of lingering in the presence of god this is a phrase i never encountered before i came to college i remember this is my freshman retreat at stepping stone you know there's this guy speaking and he's talking about lingering in the presence of god i'm like what the heck is this dude talking about like this, is, this sounds so like spacey <laughs> you know um, but he got it from this verse he got it from this place in exodus where it says the lord used to speak to moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend when moses turned again into his camp his assistant joshua the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from this tent so yeah he's reading into this he's, he's kind of expounding this a little bit but he's saying yeah look Moses used to speak to God face to face. There's a glory cloud. Like, we know how Moses was. His face was burning, and, you know, he met God face to face. Joshua's assistant, so he doesn't have that relationship with God yet, but he's his assistant to Moses, so he goes where Moses goes. And so Moses goes into the camp, and he speaks with the living God, and Joshua's just like, this is wild. (laughs) Like, he's just there. I'm just imagining him with, like, maybe a clipboard or something, and just being like, oh, okay, this is crazy, you know. But after Moses would leave, Joshua wouldn't depart from the tent. Um, he would stay there, He'd be like, this is awesome, I kind of want more. Um, in Psalm 62, it says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And so this is a very similar idea to seeking God, but it's this idea of waiting and lingering in the presence of God, of staying, you know, not only just to seeking God until I find him, but being like, now that I found you, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here as long as I can, as long as is possible. I'm going to take my time with it. At uh, Stepping Stone, we used to do, we still do Friday nights, we actually have one coming up, and that was the kind of idea. You know, we, we would traditionally go from like 8 p.m. to like 11 p.m. And again, I think there are times where we're guilty of just stretching out just for the sake of stretching it out, okay? I'll, I'll admit that, right? Um, and that was not good. Um, but I think what we decided, what we desired was that we wanted this, this just unhurried time to just be with God, lingering in the presence of God. Second, I think for us, musical worship is not only a way to encounter God, but to respond to God. Um, And there's been a lot written about how musical worship is so... Like, you know, music is actually a very powerful and good thing that God has given us um, to produce worship, right? Um, To stir up worship, not produce, I would say. Bob Coughlin, he wrote this book called Worship Matters that we use to train our worship leaders. He said this. He said, music stirs up and expresses God-glorifying emotion. Music stirs up and expresses God-glorifying emotion, because there's been a lot of controversy over the years about the role of music in emotion, and there has been a lot that's been said, and a lot is guilty of people just trying to stir up emotion with music without God at all. You know, it's just, hey, I'm gonna play this drum fill, and we're gonna build kind of in this kind of way, and people are gonna get hyped, you know, and that's no, no, no. <laughs> that's what Bob Kaufman's like. No, that is not kind of the point of music. It's just to artificially stimulate emotions. But, and many theologians and people have pointed out, it's like, there's something about music that is God's gift to people that helps people to feel things deeper. I mean, why is it that we sing love songs? You know, or we feel brokenhearted, we want to sing about it. You know, there's something about music that helps us to express it and help us to feel our emotions deeper. Um, So music stirs up and expresses God-glorifying emotions when paired up with God-glorifying lyrics and God-glorifying truths. Secondly, there is this other quote that has really impacted me about musical worship. It's from C.S. Lewis. He says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. I've sometimes heard about people just saying, like, what is the point of just us coming and singing? We already know God is good. Why do we have to sing that God is good? Well, you know, Praising is this aspect of not only enjoy, not only expressing it, but completing your enjoyment. I don't know if you've ever gone out and watched a movie with somebody, and it was like a really awesome movie, you know. And afterwards, you, know, you don't have to tell people to be like, "Hey, let's let's go praise the movie now," you know. <laughs> like people are just talking about. It. They're like, "Yo, dude, did, did you see that scene where that happened? That was so crazy, you know. You, that plot twist was wild, man. You know, or that, you know, that that was so funny when that character said that, and people laugh about it for this. You know, why do they continue to just talk about it over and over and over and over again? Because every time they do it, they relive it and they complete their enjoyments of it. That's what worship is, right? Musical worship as a way to respond to God, as a way for us to feel this beholding, this wondering, this amazement of who God is. There's a scriptural tradition for it, so I'm not just making this up. I want to show you in Ephesians and Colossians, apparently the early church did this. This has been a long tradition, so it's not just something people invented. Um, Paul talks about it here. Um, I'm just going to read just maybe the first one, um, but you can see them both here. He says, don't get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So he's instructing this early church hey, sing, <laughs> you know, sing these songs when you gather together, you know, for your mutual encouragement, you know, with thankfulness to God. You know, this, is, this should be a central part, you know, a, a huge part of when you gather together. And finally, I want to give a specific kind of a challenge for us to, you know, as a church to think about musical worship as a way to respond to God. Um, and I want to end with this. I just want to end with this story. Uh, many of you guys are very familiar with this, of David, right? Um, and this has kind of been a picture of what you know, I hope, you know, maybe as our church we're not at now, but what we could grow in, in terms of what it means to freely express and enjoy and really be in this kind of responding to God, this freedom to rejoice. Um, this is from um, the part where David actually brings the Ark of the Covenant back um, into the city of Jerusalem and I'm going to read a little bit about it before, uh, in the passage. It says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. So he's bringing the ark into the place, and they're sacrificing animals, and David the king is just out there, like, getting down. You know, he's just dancing with all of his might. You know, he's shouting, he's, he's doing all these things. He's, it's, the scripture describes him as he's leaping and dancing before the Lord. At some point, he has part of his clothes off, presumably because he's so like worked up and hot from dancing that, you know, he's sweating and stuff like that, it's, it's wild. And apparently it was so over the top and it was so undignified that his wife who looked at him despised him with her heart. She was like, wow, that is so improper and that is so not what a king should be doing, being such an idiot um, for his whole nation. Um, and so that's, that's not okay. That was the level in which David rejoiced and expressed without God, without a, without a moment's thought to what anyone else had thought. And I always feel like that is, for me, a picture of what I want to be when I think about responding to God in musical worship. Not manufacturing. I'm not a dancer, so when I'm, you know, I'm happy, I don't dance. So I don't necessarily feel like I have to manufacture that. But to feel free, to feel like, what would, how would I respond to God if there was nobody else in the room? if nobody was watching, and I just had joy in my heart, I want to worship God, musically worship God, in that kind of way. I want to encourage us of doing that as well. You know, I think a lot of times we, we feel like we're kind of boxed up, like, oh, you know, it's prop- you have to be proper, I have to do all these things, but I tell you, like, when I, when I went to Peru before on a missions trip, like, that was a pretty transformative experience for me about even worship, because I realized that different cultures do things completely differently. You know and there isn't this kind of right or wrong way but like we we would do songs for like 15 minutes each and rep- repeat like the course like 20 times or whatever and at some point there was like a line dance breaking out in front and we were like you know i, I was up here like line dancing with these like people and i'm just like this is wild <laughs> like i've never done this before in my life you know but it was just this celebration right it was just, just overjoyous like god is good and let's just let's just be amazed at that and you know i'm i'm a very like withdrawn person in general i i I struggle to really express myself um and i i think many of you guys maybe had feel maybe could feel that way as well but i want to encourage you guys i want to encourage us as a specific direction of our church that maybe we could grow in this is in responding to god openly and freely um, with freedom because of how worthy and how amazing and how good he is So let me just summarize for us Um, worship and why it matters. Worship is the inward amazement, wonder, and delight of God expressed through praise, service, obedience, the complete giving over of our lives. And for us at GLC, musical worship here at GLC is an opportunity for us to, one, encounter God through our seeking and lingering in God's presence, and two, to respond to God through our free and unabashed expression of our delight in him. Let's pray. Father God, um, we love you and we praise you. We know that we don't always feel that love. There are times when we're just amazed by who you are. And there are times where we feel distant. We confess that, God, that there are times when our hearts do not burn with as much zeal as, as we know it could be or should be. But God, I thank you, Lord, that you give us this gift of worshiping you. I thank you that you invite us, Lord, into this process of working with our hearts with you. God, I thank you that you don't just want our outward expressions. You don't just want us to do the right things and that's it. But you desire all of us. Help us, Lord, to recover the joy of worship, both personally in our our lives, in our everyday lives, and together as a church. Help us, God, to remember that worship is not just something we do, just a program, just a part of the Sunday service. God, but it's the very thing you made us for. To enjoy you. To behold you. To be amazed by you help us to experience that more as a church in jesus name we pray amen